solo uh such as it is um so for the first time my entire life as a social media enthusiast i've uh, had a tweet put up some numbers um today uh it's wednesday it's august 5th and i put up um this is quick thing about uh like the the cop the, the the rallying cry for cops for everybody like cops now is uh, back the blue, and um, I'm not a big fan of police officers, and uh, I'm gonna explain that more in a minute. Um, and I thought also uh, I saw somebody do a, when I was running this morning. I saw somebody put up a homemade back the blue sign um, in their in their home, um, and yeah, a little black. <laughs> little backdoor brag about running uh and and, uh and i thought it would be so funny if everybody thought that that was in reference to the movie uh to the avatar sequels because the you know people and the aliens and avatar are obviously blue and you know just like we're willfully ignorant of the fact that it was about um you know the police and if you know you saw them and you ran up you're like yo man avatar the navi Pandora, it's going to be awesome. Scully. Uh, I think that's the name of the character from Avatar. I never actually, I, I never watched all of Avatar. I walked out of it in the theater after the first half an hour. I thought the 3D was transcendent. It was a wonderful visual experience, but I got so bored with it. And uh, this is the first point I was going to make, which was just talking about James. This is something I realized about James Cameron's movies in general. And I got to this conclusion in a large part due to the uh, Struggle Session podcast where they had on Bug Main uh, do a um, commentary on Avatar. And um, I think they kind of make this point. Uh, like he talk, Bug Main is very, he's, he's an interesting guy, uh, but he talks about like how uh, James Cameron's like a classical storyteller. He said this, uh, Bug Main said the same thing about... Um, George Lucas and the prequels, but it's, you know, there's, and, and the point, what I took from that, the thing that really struck me was that there's really no irony going on in James Cameron's storytelling ever. Uh, like, you know, like if you watch like the Avengers or something, like there's always this winking and at the audience and a little bit of like this ironic storytelling like we know this is ridiculous we're going to make some jokes about it and we're going to make you comfortable with the ridiculousness of this story Uh, so it's like you know the Hulk comes out and it's like hey big green monster jolly green giant whatever you know like so that way it it gives you more wiggle room it lets you know the audience off the hook of the like the unreality of the situation you don't have to accept it as you know a kind of reality um and and James Cameron never does that. Uh, in in fact, and this isn't something that's unique to like the, the Marvel movies. Like even in Star Wars, like there's you know there's a little bit of like in in, in Empire Strikes Back, there's some witty repartee, 
you know, that happens like, you know, who are you calling scruffy looking? Like all that stuff, you know, I mean, it happens and it happens in good movies too. Uh, but James Cameron movies never do that. And so if you're on board with a James Cameron movie, like, like I'm really, I'm a hundred percent on board with Terminator, the first one, because it's so pure to me. It's, you know, it's a struggle of like man against machine. It's pure. And it's, and so I'm, I'm on board and even like the little things that are, kind of uh, technically maladroit storytelling or could be interpreted as maladroit storytelling, like he, the the dialogue's a little wonky and so forth, um, especially like early going when it just sort of supposed to be like a slice of life, you know, like uh, Sarah Connor's normal, you know, pre-being hunted by the Terminator existence. Um, like that stuff is is kind of weird. It doesn't really, it's, fault, it's very flat. Um, but it works out. I mean, if you th- it works out in the whole film because, you know, it's like that shows that sort of like is the frailty of humanity and the fragility of humanity uh, versus, you know, the, the unstoppable uh, crushing force of technology that's represented by um, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie. So I'm on board with that movie. But again, there's no jokes. There's never like a point in Terminator where like they deflate the tension of the ridiculousness of the premise they never do that and that's true of of all seven of james cameron's fictional movies and if you're not on board if you're not on board with the premise if you're not on board with the central conceit of the movie you don't have any wiggle room you don't have any escape there's no ironic escape and so like with um avatar i don't know i just couldn't do it you know i just wasn't in, i couldn't bring myself to invest in the story like there is i don't know it's probably pretty good like Bugman again, uh, made a pretty con- convincing, persuasive argument for for it in my mind. But I still, you know, when I actually experienced the movie, I was like, these these characters, like the the aliens, look too weird to me. There's something about the way they look. I can't watch this, and the plot is a little bit too uh, simple, you know. Um, and then so I, you know, I couldn't do it. But, you know, I, I think it's important to um, respect Avatar. <laughs> Not really. I really think it's just kind of funny to to talk about Avatar. Uh, and uh, so that was my first point, the thing about James Cameron and the lack of irony. The second point... Um, and Yeah, so anyway, so I tweeted at Bugbane and Leslie Lee III and... Uh, uh, Jack Allison, the the struggle session guys in Bugbane, and I said I want them to get on board with this idea that anytime you see Back the Blue, that it really it's in reference to Avatar, and uh, you know they've all of them have big Twitter followings, and they they were very gracious in retweeting it, especially after I actually made like I very quickly made um, an image for it, uh, which was very simple and conceptually. It was, it was very simple to do, very simple to execute, and conceptually very simple to conceive. Just you know, you take a picture of Avatar and you put back the blue in papyrus font. Um, and I was trying to make it pop, so I did the thing. <laughs> I did the thing from like every movie where like the mo- the the movie's all blue, uh, the color, the picture's all blue. So I put the um, the letters in teal, uh, so it pops. You know, because they're the you know, the biggest contrast in the color spectrum or something like that. I don't know. I think I watched like a cracked.com video about that. And so I'm able to pretend this very moment that I have expertise in colors, which I really don't. 
and I'm running out the clock just a little bit because the second thing I wanted to do was talk about police officers. And I realized that even though, so I had that one thought about James Cameron and no irony and Avatar and why I don't like it, but the next thought, which was more complicated, was going to be talking about not liking police officers. And uh, I used to be a, a reporter. I've covered police officers. I've known police officers in a professional capacity fairly well, and I always had a, a good. Um, I always had a good relationship with them. Honestly, I got I got along with them, and one to one, you know, I'm fine. Like, I'm fine with cops uh, as long as they're not you know assholes or whatever. Some of them, some of them were, but um, I think that. I, uh, uh, well, I sort of had a come to Jesus moment a, a bit with the cops when, towards the end of my reporting career. Um, there was a, a cop shot a man to death in his home, a uh, place where I was covering, and I didn't really have the the bandwidth to really get into the story. But I was like, um, but in hindsight, and this is before Ferguson and really all the police shootings and police brutality. Uh, cases really came up, you know, really became, came up, rose to the top of the public consciousness. Um, but it always seemed like, you know, the official account of what the police did seemed really weird. And the widow of the guy was protesting in the street. And um, I didn't really do the best job in the world of uh, covering the story. Like, I, you know, I didn't have time and I really didn't know what the fuck I was doing, you know, for that one. Um, and it was shortly before, like, the whole, the uh, I lost that job or, Got laid off anyway, so. Uh, and so that really changed my way of thinking, that obviously, you know, when all these other national things happened, uh, you know, it wakes you up and changes your heart and um, makes you rethink, you know, these guys that you covered, you know, if you're a police, you know, if you, like, covered friendly cops in the neighborhood, and it would make you rethink that. At least that was my experience. And the reason why I'm speaking so slowly and kind of, because I was running at the clock a bit because I was trying to bring up this thing I found on Facebook and I was going to read um, this thing I wrote more or less verbatim uh, a couple months ago. In July, June 25th, this is a thing I wrote where I sort of wrote about uh, cops and police brutality. Police brutality is... I'm just reading it. So I didn't read it. I didn't write it to be read aloud, so it might sound kind of stilted. And I'll read aloud the links that I um, have in this thing, too. Police brutality is the most pernicious, invisible problem with police work, but it's not the only one. Modern police forces are expensive and drain resources that could be put to better use. Look at Los Angeles. L.A. spent 54% of the city's general fund on cops, while cutting the far smaller amount of money allocated for housing and economic development programs. And the link for that is uh, peoplesbudgetla.com. You'll see similar patterns in other major cities. New York City spends more on policing than it does on the departments of health, homeless services, housing, preservation, and development, and youth and community development combined. And that link uh, was from a New York Daily News story. Uh, New York Daily, nydailynews.com. Uh, I don't know, I might just link to it in the story, but it's uh, an op-ed about, eh, I'll just have to link it in the comments. 
Boston spends Boston spends sixty million dollars on police overtime alone. A twenty percent cut to the police force's overtime budget would mean twelve million dollars could be reallocated to other city services. That's from a Boston Herald story. In Minneapolis, where Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd, police get a $1.6 billion budget, while services get pocket change. $31 million for affordable housing, just over $400,000 for the Office of Crime Prevention, and about $250,000 for downtown community organizations working with at-risk youth. Um, That was from a... KSTP.com story. And despite all the money we spend on police, they're remarkably ineffective. They're probably an effective deterrent in the sense that they might keep people from committing crimes for fear of being caught by police. But that's unquantifiable. We'll never know. We can say, though, that they're awful at solving crimes. Just dog shit. In 2015, 46% of the violent crimes and 19% of the property crimes reported to police in the U.S. were cleared, according to FBI data. The link for that is from Pew Research. Despite a revolution in technology for forensic investigations, cops solve less homicides today than ever. And the crimes most needing their attention are ignored. It takes years for police to catch up with serial killers, particularly ones who prey on vulnerable populations. That link is from vice.com. Rape kits are piled up in police departments without being tested. That's from endthebacklog.org. Cops rarely investigate or prosecute stalking claims. That's from uh, ncjrs.gov. And if we magically ended police brutality tomorrow, abuses would remain. Cops would still lie in courts to get convictions. In a practice so commonplace, cops have the nickname for it of testalying. And that's from a New York Times story. Two New York Times stories, in fact. They could still routinely plant evidence during investigations. This is from the marshallproject.org. They could target minorities and crackdowns on petty crimes. And that's from another New York Times story. So... In conclusion, I believe the problems with police extend beyond police brutality and that I've spent way too much time on this Facebook post that no one is going to read. Thank you. And I'm going to read... um, I'm going to read an interesting um, uh, comment, uh, exchange in the comments. Uh, I'm not going to reveal my friend's identity, but he said, when I called 911 for my son a few years ago, the officer came in with, with, uh, cleaned my son. Well, the story about how this cop saved his life after uh, his son's life after he called 911. And he said, after that, I'll always be pro police. And all these different, uh, okay. Well, then he said, um, then I responded, I'm 100% grateful that situation worked out for you, but in all sincerity, I'd rather have a paramedic handling that scenario than a cop. And my friend responded, true, but they got there first. (laughs) And I find that to be very funny. I don't know why. Anyway, um, so 
that's that's the biggest. I never really. That's the only thing I ever wrote about cops. But I don't know. So there you go. Anyway, so uh, back to blue. Uh, pretend it's about Avatar. Uh, it's funny. 